This is Undisciplined. I'm Ellis Julin. Recreation ecology is the study of the interactions between recreation and the environments where it happens. Historically, the studied impacts from outdoor recreation have been mostly negative. However, a new framework developed by researchers from Utah State University's Institute of Outdoor Recreation and Tourism is changing this narrative. Dr. Anna Miller is the first author on a paper where she and collaborators created a two-dimensional quadrant system that enables them to look at the range of positive, negative, and neutral interactions that recreation can have on an environment. This quadrant system provides a brand new foundation recreational ecologists can use to better study social ecological systems. In the paper, as an example, they applied the quadrant system to recreation wildlife interactions. And this system is so exciting because of how widely applicable it is. It can be used to integrate recreational ecology and land management to better protect natural areas. Dr. Anna Miller is the Assistant Director of Research and Operations at the Institute of Outdoor Recreation and Tourism in the Department of Environment and Society at Utah State University, where she studies recreation resource management. Dr. Anna Miller, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, definitely. So I thought we could just kind of start by talking about recreational ecology. Um, what, in your definition, or as you've all defined it in this paper, what is recreational ecology? Yeah, um, great question. So recreation ecology is essentially a subset of the field of ecology that looks at how recreation affects the ecosystems that the recreation is occurring in. So if you go on a hike, you know, are you causing erosion? Are you disturbing the wildlife that's living in that area? And there's a really interdisciplinary element to it. So, you know, understanding the ecosystems that the recreation is occurring within, but also understanding the recreationists uh, that are out there um, and kind of why, you know, what motivates them to do that activity you know, what, what are they looking, what kind of experience are they looking to get out of their recreational activity, st stuff like that. So it's a really interdisciplinary field. Yeah, that's great. I think it's one of those things that is kind of a more hot button topic, especially with the boom we've seen in outdoor recreation kind of following or during the ongoing COVID pandemic. So um, yeah, I, I'm excited to be talking about this, especially right now. So that being said, in your abstract, there's this line that I thought was so interesting. Um, recreation ecology has its foundations in the premise that recreationists have a negative impact on ecosystems and are thus treated as an ecological stressor. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of where that premise comes from? Uh, yeah, so I would say that while recreation ecology is highly interdisciplinary, a lot of the work in this field has focused on kind of negative impacts of recreation on ecosystems, different components of the ecosystem. And I think a lot of that comes from uh, the field of ecology kind of traditionally looking at humans as outside of the ecosystem, not a part of the ecosystem. Um, and so recreationists then as the human component of this um, system is looked at as, you know, an outside component. What kind of effect are they having on that ecosystem and essentially from that kind of more traditional ecology standpoint, any effect that the human outside component has on the natural ecosystem is generally negative. Yeah. And I think one of the big concepts that comes out of this paper is there's a whole range of impacts that humans can have or recreationists can have on their ecosystems. And I know you kind of 
break this down in this this quadrant system that you talk about in the paper. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that and how that kind of came about that that framework for this research. Yeah, so uh, really where that came from was I got involved with the project uh, with the U.S. Forest Service that was and basically some uh, wildlife researchers and wildlife managers identified a need to have a resource that they could go to to improve their decision-making process on how to manage recreation and wildlife in the same space and time. And so in talking with those recreation and wildlife managers, we came up with this organization of that uh, report that was going to be useful to to inform the the management decision-making process. And then kind of in my effort to synthesize this very large, I'm talking like a thousand plus um, different empirical articles, I came up with um, kind of an application to what's called the social ecological system and, and, and applying that system to uh, the recreation ecology and specifically recreation wildlife interactions topic. And then the framework itself, the quadrant system that you're referring to um, is really kind of two axes. On the y-axis, you have social systems on one end and ecological systems on the other with kind of nested hierarchical levels between those ranging from individuals all the way up to social, you know, social or ecosystems. And then on the y-axis, that's acknowledging that these interactions can actually be positive or negative. People can support conservation by donating land to land trusts rather than developing it. They can benefit from recreation. Health and well-being benefits, for example, are a highly studied topic. And they also, people can also feel negative effects from wildlife. You know, if you get bitten by a tick and contract a disease, or, you know, if you have livestock that maybe is attacked by wildlife. And so this quadrant system really is intended to be kind of a simplistic um, visualization of a very complex system to help researchers and, and managers, I think, especially in weighing trade-offs of, you know, we know that um, having recreationists in this ecosystem might negatively affect this certain sensitive wildlife species. But at the same time, having those recreationists kind of connect with uh, nature through that recreational experience lends to support for overall conservation goals. Right. Yeah, I love that this framework really encompasses kind of the, I guess, a double-edged sword of recreation that's oftentimes at the center of a lot of ecological conversations right now. Do you think that there's a growing um, recognition in the world of recreational ecology of the need for this this full social ecological system and and to have really comprehensively look at this. Yes, I think there's definitely need recognized for considering trade-offs. I think a lot of times in the recreation, the outdoor recreation field, we talk about uh, the dual goals of protected area management, um, which are conserving biodiversity and natural ecosystems while providing excellent outdoor recreation opportunities to the public. And those are often looked at as um, conflicting goals. And so I think with this framework as kind of a way to visualize the larger system at one time, there seems to be growing interest in across different federal agencies to kind of take a new look at recreation management. I've been working with some of the same 
outdoor recreation management tools since probably the 70s and you know with with some updates but there's there seems to be a growing interest in taking a new look at those tools that's something i i hope i can do with this framework too is to use this to kind of develop a new way of looking at outdoor recreation management yeah i think that's that's so great and clearly so needed in the in the beginning of the paper it talks about this philosophical basis of ecology being naturalism. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk about what naturalism is and if that kind of take on our relationship to the natural world maybe contributes to or has contributed to how we view recreation and how that may be changing. You had this line of like naturalism looks at whether or not humans are considered natural elements of ecosystems or if natural systems exclude human influence. And I just think that's such a interesting concept. I had a professor in undergrad who always said, until we can recognize humans as part of nature rather than apart from nature, we're never going to be able to address human impacts in a meaningful way. So I was hoping maybe you could just kind of talk about that that viewpoint and, and how that maybe has contributed to recreation being treated so independently of other management actions, especially on public lands. Yeah, that's a, a great point. Yeah, as, as you said, um, kind of the, the philosophical basis of ecology as naturalism excludes humans from the ecosystem. Personally, I think that is a pretty narrow-minded viewpoint at, at this point. You know, we we're humans are all over the world, and even in the very, very remote places um, that there is not actual human activity, there's climate change um, or, you know, air pollution. I do consider that people are part of the ecosystem, especially in recreation settings. In the U.S., recreation is uh, a priority or, you know, at least a, a land use in almost all public lands. And so it, I think looking at, at humans and recreationists as a complete outside component to that ecosystem is just not entirely effective. Yeah. Well, and I think this paper really makes the great case for why it's so critical that we incorporate recreationists into our, our thinking of, of outdoor ecosystems. Like you said, human influence is, is pervasive across the globe, whether it be in forms of noise pollution or air pollution or things along those lines. Um, I'm curious if you think that there are maybe different ecosystems where recreation may have more or less of a of a positive or negative impact. I'm mostly thinking here in Utah, you know, everywhere you go, kind of in, in southern Utah, there's all the signs about cryptobiotic crust and the implications of people wandering off trails are are so devastating in some of those fragile desert ecosystems. Do you think that there's distinctions to be made on the scale in this quadrant system between different types of ecosystems and the impacts that recreationists can have in them. So, so in this quadrant system, um, just to back up for a minute, that uh, lower left-hand quadrant, if you're looking at, <laughs> at the picture, is the negative impacts of recreation on ecosystems. And that's really where a lot of the recreation ecology research has focused. And there's so much great information out there. So there's actually, I think recreation ecology was kind of founded on this idea of looking at the impacts of recreation on vegetation, 
and different types of vegetation, different ecosystems. And so to your question, there's a lot of research out there showing how different types of recreation affect uh, different ecosystems, you know, through different levels of intensity, for example. Uh, so there are certainly more sensitive ecosystems to recreation in general, and it's, certain types of recreation can have different types of effects on the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, one individual hiker is going to have a lot different of a ecological footprint than something like parade of ATVs or something like that, <laughs> which I think, we're, yeah, we see a lot. I think outdoor recreation is so ubiquitous and so commonly addressed in, especially Moab is kind of like at the crux of all of these conversations. I feel like just as someone who lives in Utah, I'm sure there's other places that are hotbeds, but Moab seems to be one of those places where we really see what large scale recreation looks like in such a variety of different ways. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Moab's like this weird kind of case study, I feel like, in the world of outdoor recreation. But that may just be my perception as a Utahn. <laughs> no, I, I would agree with you. It's a, it's a unique place for sure. Um, and, and, and I think also kind of going back to one of your previous questions, the, the, the scale at which we're looking at these questions and, and impacts of recreation on the ecosystem um, and kind of feedbacks from those impacts to the social system on and on, uh, the scale is so important. Um, so when you're talking about Moab, for example, you could look at the trail to Delicate Arch <laughs> um, as a study site, or you could look at the like Grand County area as a, as a larger landscape. And uh, that's a, an interesting question in that area with some new recreation developments coming up soon. Um, is is what is recreation going to look like across the landscape? Yeah. Is there a common standard size of system that you're looking at when you're asking some of these restoration or um, recreation ecology questions? Like, does it tend to be at the, at, like you said, the specific trail level? Or is it more of like a general geographic area? Or does it, I guess it maybe really just depends on your study question. Yeah. So. It's a, I think it's a really good point that you bring up uh, just about scale, and it really does have to do with the question that you're trying to answer. So a lot of the foundational work in the recreation ecology field started as small scale, kind of looking at campsite impacts or, or impacts along a trail. Some of the earliest studies were on trampling, how, you know, someone walking back and forth across um, different types of ecosystems to see how many passes will kind of lead to irreparable damage to the to the vegetation in that ecosystem. But I see recreation ecology research going to larger and larger scales in more recent years. And I think that both are very important types of studies. Like I said, it really just depends on, on what the question is that you're trying to answer. But I think that uh, I'm really pleased to see that more attention is being given to the larger scale because I think you know, we have a lot of really great information on how ecosystems respond to recreation at at those hyper-local scales. Um, and now we can apply that to the larger scale. And some of the important questions that I see right now are, you know, as, as landscapes change, 
uh, with uh, different public lands opening or um, having different restrictions on the type of recreation or the timing of recreation that can occur there. Um, or with climate change, landscapes are, are being altered. And how does that affect, I guess, the, the recreation usage across the landscape and, and looking at how dispersed and how concentrated um, recreation is across the landscape too? Yeah. Thinking about how dispersed and concentrated recreation is on landscapes, I know here, especially in the West, but also all over the country, in response to the COVID pandemic at the start, and I think it's something that that's kind of an ongoing theme that we're seeing is this this boom in outdoor recreation and this influx of people to national parks and even to more remote areas like BLM lands and, and forest service lands where there's not that kind of infrastructure built to deal with these large crowds of recreationists. I'm thinking particularly, of, you know, your, your Jackson holes, your Moabs, these places with these just massive amounts of outdoor recreation happening. How do you see this framework being used in those places? Or are you seeing in the community of recreation ecology, you know, are you seeing some kind of unusual ecological responses to this this just boom of outdoor recreationists? So here at, uh, at USU and within the Institute of Outdoor Recreation and Tourism, and I think also working with some researchers from University of Utah, some of my colleagues are working on this program called the Gateway and Natural Amenity Region Initiative. Um, that's really looking at uh, some of those gateway communities, like you're talking about Moab or Jackson, those those communities that are close to a very popular um, public land, um, national park or, or national forest um, or other public land. This initiative really started towards the beginning of the pandemic of COVID and looking at uh, how those communities can kind of get different resources to accommodate some of the influxes that they're seeing in in tourism um, and also in kind of amenity migration on um, folks moving to some of these towns since they can remote work now. So it, yeah, it's not one that I'm directly involved with, but it's a really great initiative that is kind of connecting folks across these different uh, these different communities to to help them, you know, work together or to provide resources that that can help them out. Kind of transitioning away from this paper in particular, how did you get involved in the field of recreation ecology? Yeah. Uh, so I am an ecologist by training. I um, you know, had a BS in biology and then an MS in applied ecology slash environmental management. But my, my master's degree was, yeah, looking at environmental management, but I was studying in three different countries in Europe. So France, England, and Germany. It was a very natural sciences-oriented degree, but studying environmental management across these very different cultural landscapes uh, really drove home to me the importance of human dimensions in environmental management. And so that's when I decided that I needed to go back for a social science degree, kind of rounding out that interdisciplinary focus that lends itself to a recreation ecology. I'm a recreationist myself, and I've always kind of wondered what impacts I might be having on the ecosystem. And at the same time, you know, I, I do very much benefit from 
from being outside and, and being involved in recreation. And so that's what really kind of brought up this question in my mind of first looking at the, the impacts of recreation on the ecosystem, and then it kind of uh, snowballed from there. <laughs> yeah, I think anyone who's involved in outdoor recreation probably at one point or another has wondered what impacts their their favorite sport or pastime might be having on the landscape around them. But at the same time, wanting to be out there so badly. So yeah, I, I totally get that, that kind of thought process. I'm thinking about ski season myself right now. <laughs> so I'm curious what you think, and this, this may be a list of things, but what, what is one of the biggest challenges that the field of recreation ecology is facing? And I guess by challenge, I mean more, what is one of the biggest problems that that, that recreation ecology is trying to answer? Well, I, I think the direction that I see being the most kind of critical at this point is that idea of looking at the larger system. Like I said, we have so much wonderful empirical research and, and kind of synthesis research too, to, to look at these, what I kind of separated into these four different quadrants of those interactions between recreation and ecosystems negatively and positively. And I think at this point, bridging those quadrants, you know, recreation ecology really focuses kind of on one to maybe two of those quadrants, but identifying the fields to connect with and to kind of build collaborative work um, across those different fields to, to, to really look more at the trade-offs. I think that, I mean, that's that's what I feel is most urgent right now. I'll add one one other urgency too is is just putting our work into the context of global climate change and uh, considering what uh, what our our climate futures look like across different regions and, and eco regions and preparing for that in you know incorporating that into the work that we're doing today. Yeah. You know, both on the research side of things and, and on the management side of things, definitely. Right. How do you plan for the management of an ecosystem that is very likely changing as some of your, especially cold weather species are moving north and your fire regimes are changing and, and all of these impacts we're already seeing from from climate change? That's a good point. Yeah. So the next step for me for the with this quadrant system my plan is to um apply more case studies to this quadrant system so in in the article that came out in december um we applied that quadrant system to one case study looking at the mojave desert tortoise in south uh, western utah and so like just applying this quadrant system to that one case study helped us develop, uh, with some of my co-authors, helped us develop that quadrant system a little bit further. And so my plan for the next step will be to apply this idea to another set of um, diverse case studies. I'd really like to take this internationally too. I think that'll help develop the social side of the social ecological system concept even further. And so through those case studies, I really hope to kind of tease out some more components of the system that we haven't recognized yet and see how those build in. And 
I guess the the longer term dream <laughs> or the longer term plan for the project is to kind of iteratively apply it to some case studies, um, update the framework um, with what we learn, talk with practitioners to see what kind of resonates with them about this idea, what they see as missing, what they see might need to change, and how it might support their decision-making process. And I'd really ultimately, you know, if relevant, um, as we go through this iterative process, I'd really ultimately like to see if we could turn this into kind of a, a next generation recreation management tool or or even bigger than recreation management tool, a broader uh, public land management tool and how to integrate these different resources that we're managing for in public lands, protected areas, parks, and, and integrate those different resource areas into one large, uh, larger kind of recreation ecosystem. That's Anna Miller. She's the Assistant Director of Research and Operations at the Institute of Outdoor Recreation and Tourism in the Department of Environment and Society at Utah State University. Her latest study was recently published in the Journal of Outdoor Recreation and Tourism. Anna, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed talking about this with you. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio with support from the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. And if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Claire Scott. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tussaud. And I'm Alice Julin. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas. <laughs> <laughs>